John chapter 12, verse 24. Are you ready? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat. Now, just so everyone knows, corn was not created in the Bible times. Whenever you read corn, it really means wheat. So it's nice that they, the scripture actually gives us a little bit of clarification. Wheat, grain of wheat. Corn would be a grain. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. Unless it does that, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. That's multiplication. Except it falls into the ground and he dies. Of course, he's speaking of himself. It abides alone. But if it dies. Matthew 27 and verse 39. I'll read a little bit. I know I don't always give you two different scriptures and texts. But if you could remember the first one, we'll go to the second one in Matthew chapter 27. And verse 39. We're at the end portion of this book. Verse 39, and they passed, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and build it in three days. Because Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, I'll build it in three days. They were thinking literally. They didn't know he was speaking of himself. You that said you would destroy the temple and and build it again in three days. Save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself, he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Amen. Amen. And everybody said amen. Amen. And everyone, pray that the Lord will anoint me right now. Would you pray that God will anoint me? I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Anoint me to preach your anointed word. Anoint me to preach to the people. Your blood-bought people. Use me, Lord, just as a messenger and oracle of you. Remove me. Step forward into this house, Lord. Be high and lifted up, Lord. Let the congregation of people hear your word. See your image here tonight. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Consider with me the irony of the words of the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. Jesus is lifted but a handful of feet above the earth, there hangs the Lamb of God that is in that moment 
taking away the sin of the world. The chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, all the religious sects are blinded by the moment. Notwithstanding the coming earthquake that will open us, open up numerous tombs, graves, wherein dead people come back to life, walk through the streets of Jerusalem to present themselves to their loved ones. Or the sky that will turn dark for the span of three hours. Or all of the signs that attended to his death, notwithstanding all of those wonders. The chief priests, scribes, and elders are numb to the hinge of history that unfolds before them. By the time they revile him, wagging their heads in contempt, the physical frame of Jesus Christ has been almost depleted of life. He's barely hanging on to breath. His body has been mangled by the whip, the scourge, from the beatings that he took, his internal organs are now fiercely bruised. His face no longer looks human. He's hanging by large spikes, nails, as it were. The Romans knew how to make people suffer, so there's enough lag in the stretch. So Jesus can pull himself up by the nails to clear the fluid that's filling his lungs. His heart is about to explode, but he's not there because they put him there. Jesus is hanging there by choice. No one past or present kept him on the cross. And while they thought that they crucified him, Jesus was there because he gave his body over to their hands. The nails were but submissive tools holding on by his own will. And there they are, walking past him, defiant, devious in nature, and of course, ignorant of the fact that the Son of God was dying for them. They declared his purpose. He saved others, himself he cannot save. The fact of the matter is, he could save himself, but he was there to save them. He could not save himself and save others. So if he didn't save himself, everyone else would be saved. But if he saved himself, he would abide alone. Had he saved him his own self, he would have just been by himself. Atonement was the only path to redemption, and redemption was the only way anyone would ever make it into his presence. And there they walked by, mocking him. They were so close to the truth, their wagging heads and blinded spirits just couldn't grasp the Savior or his sacrifice. Perhaps better stated would be this, he did not save himself so that he could save others. He didn't save himself because he was trying to save someone else. I feel almost like we're standing in Easter 
being prepared for an empty tomb. Of course, I would submit to you, there is, <laughs> there is no empty tomb without a cross. <laughs> there is no crown without a crucifixion. There is no resurrection without a death. I want that to sink in to you tonight. There is no joy without some suffering. There is no explosion and multiplication without a burial and a dying. Out of death comes victory. Out of sorrow comes compassion and understanding. I've never met anyone who has greater compassion than those who have went through trouble. Jesus in Christ, Jesus Christ himself is the one who understands us. Or as Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. That means Jesus, our high priest, is touched by our weakness. He feels our pain. He can relate to every sickness, every disease, every loss, every moment of suffering. He chose to die. He chose the cross so that he could relate to every affliction of our lives. The cross did not choose him. He chose it. Death did not overtake him. He embraced it when he relented and said, not my will, Father, but thine be done. On numerous occasions, the Lord will preface his work at Calvary but I'm certain that his disciples could not comprehend the coming crucifixion. No way did they ever understand their hopes and dreams was that he would live and he would be the Messiah and that he would overthrow the Roman government. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat fall into the ground, it's planted and it's buried. Unless it dies there, it, it cannot do anything. If it's not there, it remains alone. But if it dies, it can multiply. Multiplication comes by way of selflessness life comes by way of death all of it leads me to the lowest points of the lives of people some I have known and others I have studied out of great sorrow came paintings and songs and playwrights I won't labor here long there's so many of the the list is it's so long. Van Gogh he painted over 900 pieces. He only sold one. He was poor all of his life. His expression of his torment of life came through his paintings. Out of all of that reflection and rejection and sorrow came the finest pieces the world has ever seen. And I could list hundreds of people who did not overcome tragedy, but they grew from it. They did not conquer their past, but they multiplied their lives by virtue of what died in them. Until something dies in you. Not, not you overcoming that. No, you die in that. It, it, you die. Something dies until that happens in your life and flesh is cut out of you. You could never really do great things for God. The greater the flesh, the less of God. I'm recalling our friend Steve Richardson. I'm sorry that he's not here tonight. I wish he had lived. He was... Mostly in the North Campus building. And then before that, we had become friends maybe some 30-something years ago now. 
Steve wrote beautiful songs. He was a great songwriter. He went to a conference one time. He was in the audience. (laughs) And the piano player got up and was going to sing a special song. He sang Steve's song, Daystar. And the piano player said, I wrote this song. The Lord gave me this tune. I wrote this and I want to sing it for you now. He, saw it, he started singing Daystar. Most of the people didn't know who wrote it. Unfortunately for him, the author was on the fifth row. The guy sang the song. I asked people, well, what, how did it come across? They said it was flat. It was dead. No anointing. I'll tell you why there was no anointing. Because it wasn't his song. And he doesn't know how it came to be. Steve didn't write those songs. He wrote the song just to walk with him. Means everything to me. He didn't write that in the noonday hour. When the sun was shining and everything was good. And all the bills were paid. He wrote that looking through loss and pain. Daystar had a hunger attached to it. Because Daystar was born out of, of his image when he was a young boy. When they were all at the lake here in Indiana. And his older brother and his brother-in-law, they were just young. Both of them were fishing and had waders on. And the boat capsized. And the waders pulled those strong, young, vibrant young men down. And they couldn't swim back. And his brother made it to shore, but saw that his brother-in-law, his older brother made it to shore, but he saw that his older brother, his, his brother-in-law was, was struggling, 19 years old. And he swam out to, to, to bring him back in. And they both drowned that day. And a cousin drowned that day. And the church in Bloomington, the 11th Street Church, built a a tower, a bell tower, and they inscribed their names in brass, and they rung the bell, and the church collapsed. And years later, Steve Richardson got to his knees, and he started to write, because the tragedy took something from him, and he wrote, and I quote, Lord, I've seen a world that's dying, wounded by the master of deceit. Groping in the darkness, haunted by years of past defeat. But I see you standing near me, shining with compassion in your eyes. And I pray Jesus shine down on me. Let your light shine through me in the night. And out of that sorrow and death came the line that has now been sung millions of times. Minister to people, they have no idea where it came from. I'm going to tell you where it came from. It came from death and loss and tragedy. Steve was single when he passed away. We always trying to get him connected to somebody. He was late for everything. He was late for everything. He was late for church, late for lunch, late for dinner. He was late to go to bed and late to get up. The Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. He's going to be the last of the dead in Christ. In fact, the trumpet will sound. We'll all be waiting for Steve to get up out of the grave. A twinkling of an eye was a long twinkling. 
Yeah. There's at least three generations of people that were raised around him as he played the piano at the old Calvary building. I met a couple of them. Some of them, some of the ladies that I met, some of the men, they were children. They were young children. He was a young guy playing and they were 10 years old sitting on the floor around his piano bench as he played because Brother Urshan had long services, four and five hours long. Oh, you people have no idea what it used to be. Getting hungry. He did find a young lady. She was beautiful. She still is today. But her mother convinced her that she needed to marry another guy because he was a doctor. Little did she know that that guy she married would have a long, over two-decade affair. Six months started after they were married. He had another person that lived down the road from him. He bought a house for her. And he had a dual life. When she finally found out, she divorced him, but it was too late. She was too old and Steve was late. About the time that he had lost the love of his life, he also found out that he had diabetes. And as a 29-year-old back in those days, diabetes meant a lot more than it does today. There was very little to help him. He lost the love of his life. And now he has an incurable disease. He was wounded and discouraged. And so he had the key to the church and he went to the church that night. And late into the night, he laid down at the altar. And he wrote perhaps the best words I've ever sang in my life. He wrote... My steps have led me far away Sometimes I wonder why They've taken me Down lonely roads Beneath the darkened sky But every time I lost my way The Lord came to me He sought me out and he took my hand and he said he'd walk with me. And another million people out of the tragedy of that moment sang his song. Ernie Haas loved it so much that he got his band together and sang it. Bill Gaither loved it so much that they sang it. Mylon Lefevre said it saved him. Michael English said there was no song that ever helped him like the songs of Steve Richardson. Amy Grant took a long walk with Steve in a park when all the groups scattered around. She said, Steve, would you walk with me? Would you talk with me a little bit? My marriage is on the rocks. And he counseled with her out of the depth of his own sorrow and his loss. You want a ministry? You want to be powerful? Don't despise the suffering. You want multiplication church? I'll tell you what, you'll have to die. You can live, but we'll be alone. 
You can survive and beg off all the trial and the trouble. You can get mad in God, but you'll always be alone. <laughs> now, I know that there's a generation here that's not going to know Eric Clapton's name. But some of you, you know who you are. <laughs> you still have an old 8-track. By 1991, 1990 really, the famed guitarist Eric Clapton was waning in popularity. There, there was an explosion of new music and birthed out of the 80s. There was hundreds of new genres coming out of the 80s. There was a mixture of rap and hip-hop. There was, there, was, there was an abandonment of a lot of the things that had gone on before. Disco was being burned. They, would, they took all their disco records and burned them took a couple decades to figure out that was a dumb thing to do because now they're a hot seller. There was a ball field that they rented and burned all kinds of disco records. <laughs> Out of the 1980s, there was all these genres of music that just exploded across the board. New ways to deliver them. By 1990, Eric Clapton had waned in popularity. It left all those older musicians in their wake, all these new things but few people have picked up a guitar and played like Clapton. But in March of that year, he was visiting his friend. And someone was cleaning the apartment in that building in New York. She was a new lady. She just opened up, cracked open one of the windows. And Clapton's four-year-old boy, Connor, fell 49 stories to his death out of their flat in New York. And in sorrow, Eric Clapton didn't know what to do. He lost himself. He never believed in heaven. He never believed in God. He didn't know what to do. But in a midnight hour, he got his guitar and he sat down and started to cry and think about his son. And he wondered at that moment, maybe there is life after this life. I hope there is. And he wrote Tears in Heaven. It launched him back into the limelight of which he tried to refuse and reject. Because he didn't want his popularity to hinge or to stand on top of the death of his son, his four-year-old son. See, loss is not finality. If you make it, you're going to have a theology of understanding that other people don't have. Joseph kept himself even while he spent two years in prison in a dungeon. He was 22 years away from his family before he ever had a reunion. Paul and Silas weren't giddy when they landed in the inner sanctum of that Roman jail. But they decided not to just give up and wallow out of their suffering. The cruel, senseless beatings. Being bound in stocks and bonds, hands and feet. The scourge upon their back. The blood and the stripes and the beatings. At midnight, the Bible said, they sang songs. And I'm telling you tonight, there is a theology and understanding about God. What you believe is never established on the mountain. It's never established in time of plenty is always established in times of want when you're lonely when you're burdened when you have loss that's when you become a powerful person that's when you become a multiplier I want the sorrow to be removed from you. But I didn't put the sorrow there. God allowed the sorrow to be there. And I cannot tell you why except don't waste your prison. Don't waste your midnight. Don't waste the times when God is trying to raise something up. Because out of your sorrow can come a multiplication of ministries and blessings and power and restoration for people. 
I submit to you tonight that the great songs and the greater sermons have all been written in moments of trial and tragedy and conflict and pain and loss. I can tell you of the lady whose husband left her with her two small children and her life is shattered in a million pieces. And I watched one day as she was washing dishes and I looked up at her. She was older than me and I looked up at her and I saw her praying and crying to God. But she got up and she started to have a prayer meeting and it lasted for decades of time and she became a lover of people and a helper and intercessor why because at midnight she established her beliefs when she was at the bottom in the downward part she established her beliefs in the inner sanctum in the inner place in the inner dungeon she decided who she was going to be it doesn't happen when you've got everything paid for it doesn't happen when your health is good it doesn't happen when your family is all complete it happens when you're lost it happens when you're struggling it happens when you will, you will die and you won't get back up again I'm going to tell you right now, God can save you a lot quicker when you're in trouble than he can when you are healthy and whole. Few people come to God when they're feeling good. Fewer people yet still come to the altar when everything's fine. But when you are in trouble, that's when you get to God. And if you let that thing die off and you'll say, God, I've had trouble, but out of that... I'm going to have, my beliefs are going to be set out of that. I'm going to have my faith settled out of that. Hear me, there are so many more faithless to God. And they'll finally, the faithless became faithful. Faithless is often, is often your story when everything is right. But when everything is wrong, then you get to define yourself. And you get to get a name and the name that you receive is the name that lives on, the name that everybody thinks of. And there are so many. I cannot even scratch the surface of testimonies of people who lost and suffered and struggled. But out of that struggle, they became powerful warriors for the kingdom's sake. Because when you're in struggle, now you finally get to relate for all the widows and widowers here tonight. Let me tell you, you have a powerful ministry. You have lost someone that you loved. We cannot bring them back. But put your arms around someone else and love them and tell them, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. Tell them, I've been there. I know what it's like like to get up at 11 o'clock and nobody's there you ought to tell them i know what it's like to reach across the side where my husband my wife used to be and at two o'clock in the morning they're not there and i realize i'm alone tell me no one can relate to you like them uh, i feel the spirits of people of rejection and those who have been abused, some physically, some sexually, some mentally abused. But somehow God has led you into this house. He baptized you with the Spirit. He baptized you with the Holy Ghost. Maybe nobody knows your story, but no one can minister to people that are going through that trouble like you can minister to them. It's at midnight. And if you're not in a midnight... And if you never had one, buckle up. Midnight comes to everybody. See, it's at midnight that you decide what you believe, what theology you embrace. See, remember, your theology is your set of beliefs. It's not just the study of God, but it's the belief, the convictions that you develop. And you always develop them. 
when there's trouble. That's what Job's wife was trying to say to him. Why don't you just curse God and die? Just curse God and die. It can't get any worse. You've lost all your possessions. All your children have died. Your body is wrecked with pain and boils. You're sitting in dust and dirt, rubbing it on your body. You have no friends left. Just curse God and die. And Job said this. I'm going to praise him. I can't curse God. i got to praise him. I came into this world naked. I'm going to leave the same. But blessed be the name of our God. Hear me. There's no shout like the shout that occurs at midnight. Nothing grips my heart that when I see the people of the Most High God worshiping in the middle of trouble. I've lost everything, Pastor, but my hands are up because I know God is going to help me. Hebrews gives us the clearest definition of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, I don't know if you've gotten that yet. That's prominence. prominence. That's the moment when he becomes powerful. That's the transition, 40 years. He might even have risen to one of the top leaders in all of Egypt. But when he came to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, watch this, rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. He chose affliction. He chose to stand out rather than to blend in and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Please let me deviate for a moment. Sin is enjoyable. A sinful lifestyle is enjoyable, but it doesn't last very long. Sinful living can be pleasurable, but it's only for a season. Here's his definition, verse 26. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Here's the clearest definition of Paul. Paul writes it of himself. But what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Here's the defining moment of Jesus Christ, which we rarely reach, because the first 11 ever so captivating verses of Isaiah's 53rd chapter envelops us. But if you get to verse 12 of Isaiah 53, the prophet writes, Of the prophecy, therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great... And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, 
and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. The multiplication came when he died. See, flesh is so powerful. Self-preservation is so powerful. We preserve ourselves as best we can. We preserve our image. We preserve our own body. Even your physical body knows how to preserve itself. If you are in great pain or conflict and your trauma, your body has trauma, the blood will leave your hands and feet and will rush to your midsection to feed the vital organs. It will kill off your fingers and your toes and your feet and your hands before it will allow the heart and the liver to die. Because even innately, you want to survive. You want to live. But Paul said, I have to die in Christ. Hear me. Nobody ever lives until they died. You have to die to your ambition. You have to die to try to be blended in with everybody. You have to die to yourself. It's a hard thing to die. But if you choose it, there's multiplication in that. I preach this out of the burden of my own generation and of the societal pressures that have afflicted our own homes and our church. There's not enough death in the church. Everybody wants to have resurrection. There's not enough death. I'm not talking about the demonic world. I'm talking about the flesh. I'm talking about your flesh and your ideas and your will that presses against the spirit. If there's ever going to be a multiplication of revival and souls, it means I've got to give up the things I think that are precious to me. Can you hear me now? Can anyone hear me now? Because holiness is about relinquishing my own image to God. There was a time when you loved God and you were desirous of God and you didn't care what anyone thought and you ran to the altar and you prayed, but self grew and flesh got big. And the preserving of your image and yourself and your own definition got large and you stopped growing. And you stop worshiping. And you start thinking about what people would think about you. And you start measuring what other people had. And you start to think that maybe maybe someone will look down on me. And, and when the call came for repentance, you didn't want to go forward. Because you didn't want anyone to think that you had anything to repent of. And maybe you didn't. But when the call came for other prayer, you didn't come. And, and, and when there was worship, you just watched other people worship. And all of a sudden, flesh got big. Flesh got big. And life got busy. And now you lived. But you were alone. And you were alone. Because you didn't die. And I preach tonight. There is a theology. There is a belief. It is established when you are at midnight. I knew. I knew what the pastor's home entailed. I knew it. I remember the, the moment when the family called mom and dad. Dad, my, they didn't have money. But that family were poor. They had no food. and Mom and dad took the money that we had. They told me. We took the money. We bought food. That's why we can't have this other stuff. We, we filled up their refrigerator with food. And a week or two later, the family called dad and said, We don't want to come back to church anymore. We just don't feel like we fit in. Yeah. I knew that. I knew that going into this. The day that the couple 
about 15 years ago came and said, we need some help. We need $400. And I said, well, the church is not going to give out money for you, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll see what we can do. And I gave him $400 out of my own bank account. And they called me the next week and said, we don't feel like we want to come back to church anymore. We just don't like it. And I said, well, you should have told me that before you cashed my check. Too late. Over. Done. Done. And I had no misgivings or ideas that standing here was going to be an awesome thing. Like some folks think it's so great. Pray to God. He calls you to something else. But to stand up in front of people and show them the scripture or tell them how to live. Even the Bible says teachers ought to be few. Because if you teach, then you're responsible to live according to the scripture and not just what you taught. Yeah. And when they knocked on mom and dad's window at nighttime and woke them up and said, Pastor, Sister Arbor, our kids are in trouble. And mom and dad got out of bed two or three o'clock in the morning, got their clothes on, and went over to the homes and counseled them late at evenings. I knew that's not what I want to do. <laughs> yes, oh yes. And when they said to us, we'd like to have a better Christmas, but we decided we want to give to the home missionary department, I said, they should get their own presents. <laughs> Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And when my father loved everybody, and the very people he loved then turned their back, I knew that's not what I wanted to do. And when I was 19, and I went to camp, and was in the service of camp, and all my friends went out later, and I got back. But when I pulled over the hill, I saw flames coming out of the church building. When I pulled into the gravel parking lot, the fire trucks were there. Mom and Dad and Dana were standing there. And we embraced each other. Scotty had already moved away. And we cried and watched Dad's office burn to the ground. And every book, gift, every heirloom, everything he ever had melted and became ashes and the sanctuary the little sanctuary opened up cracks in the wall 1300 degrees the ladies auxiliary had just bought a kqy piano it melted to the floor and it happened in the side room of a sunday school room where a kerosene heater was right next to an outlet see fire marshals understand where these things happen they know even when it's burned down they know where it happened but it took them multiple months to figure out and to put it in the paper. By that time, one of the ministers in the church already accused me, mom, dad, and Dana of burning the church down. And the police interviewed Dana and me. And I knew when I found out that that other minister had told the cops that we, and told the police that we had done it, I knew this is not what I want to do. 
I was dying. I was dying. I'd rather be alone. I'd rather do something else. But the Lord was calling me. And so when I got a little older and I gripped the back of that metal chair and I felt that pull on my heart and I knew, I want you to preach the word. I don't care what it costs. People are going to abandon you. They're going to mock you. They're going to accuse you. But you still have to preach the word. This is what it took. It took me dying to my ambition and dying to my education and dying to what I thought that I wanted to be because God was calling me into the ministry and so by the time I got through that I was still gripped with it and I went to Bible school and I graduated from college I was in my MBA and Sister Mooney got a hold of me and I I went to Indianapolis. I got there. I met Steve. I met Mark and Lori Carruthers. I was just swept into some good times and wonderful things. Songwriting and singing and playing my saxophone. It was wonderful traveling all over the place. We, we, we ended up singing at, at a conference. I'd never been to the conference before. I, we went to the Pentecostal of Alexandria because of the times that we sang and I like to sit in the balcony right next to the railing. They used to have a metal chair there and they would get me a metal chair and they could put me anywhere but I liked there because I could see over everyone's head. <laughs> I had my notebook. Man, I made notes. I wrote notes. I had never heard preaching like this. I had never heard preaching and I saw this guy, this big guy, Brother Billy Cole got up and preached and he preached the most phenomenal sermon and when I was up there I looked down and there was those four people that had accused our family and had wounded us so so pitifully they were there in the audience I looked down they were there and Billy Cole was preaching he was preaching about ministry to your brother he was preaching about forgiving your brother he was talking about Joseph and he painted Joseph and I knew that I was Joseph and I looked down and the spirit started to move and people were worshiping those four people just sat there and I walked down that I walked down those risers and I walked down that aisle to where they were and I leaped over them. I laid my body on their legs and they couldn't move. I'm sure that was awkward. And I wept over them and I prayed God remove my bitterness and bless these people who have hurt me. I established my belief at midnight. I established God is going to put mercy in my hands. He's going to put, I don't want it, but at midnight when I got rid of my bitterness. Until you are willing to die and be planted. Hear me. You might survive by yourself, but you'll always be by yourself. I got to tell these stories because if, if you don't hear these stories, you won't know them. So that's why when we got here in the late fall of 1999 and there was no money, and we left what we thought was a pretty lucrative evangelistic trail. And it was. And the bylaws at the time said the pastor could have half 
50% of all the tithes and offerings that came in. Mm, that looks so good. But let me just tell you what one million times zero is. <laughs> wait, wait, let's just raise it up. Two million times zero. Okay, let's do this. Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Jeff Zuckerlin times zero. This is how my secretary greeted me, Sister Sweet Annie Doherty. Hey, Pastor. I'm Annie. I'm the secretary. Which bill would you like to pay first? I said, pay them all. She said, well, we can't. Let me tell you, if I was still hanging on to my hopes and dreams of being an attorney and making money, it had been a bad day for me, but it didn't bother me because Tammy got her realtor's license and I painted houses. And that's how we survived when we came into this town. We didn't come surviving off the tithes and offerings. We came in here working because it didn't matter. I already laid that down. I already said, Lord, I'll die to those ambitions because if you're going to call me to the ministry, I'm going to have to have something else. You're going to have to multiply something else in me. My beliefs in God were established. Hey, I'm preaching a little bit here tonight. I hope you can feel my heart. I hope you can hear more than just my words. Paul said, I've, I've, I've suffered, but I counted all dung. It didn't mean anything for the cause of Jesus Christ. I die for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I love the power of his resurrection, Paul said, but I embrace the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm asking you tonight, what will you do at midnight? Will you die? Will you submit yourself in the flesh and the person that you imagine yourself to be? Would you bury it? Hear me, young ladies, young men. Hear me, young adults. I hope that you're hearing me, young adults. I hope you get a good degree. I hope you get a good job. I hope, it has, I hope you have high hopes on a great career. But don't bury yourself in your career. That career is only a, an ends, a, a means to an end. You're a disciple maker. If you're a doctor, if you become a doctor, that's just what you do on the side. You're a disciple maker. If you're an architect, that's what you do a little bit of a day. But really, your call is to be a worshiper. If you become an owner of an electric company or a plumbing company, you might be an owner of something, but that's just a side thing, just so you can give to the Lord and get to the house and serve God. you got to die. You've got to bury that. you want to be free from addictions it's not easy because you have to die every day every moment you got to die you got to crucify that flesh 
Oh, that flesh rises up. Oh, that flesh is so powerful. That flesh, it, it, wants, it wants to rise up and accuse God at midnight. That flesh wants to shake its fist at midnight. Hear me. He could have saved himself. But if he'd have saved himself, there'd been no tomb. There'd been no resurrection. And nobody else would have been saved. You can save yourself. But think of how many generations of people would be lost today. Brother Huttiger, if you had just decided, no, I'd rather own my own gas station, my own shop, my own mechanical shop. If you'd have stayed there and just been a businessman, chances are you'd have had a lot more money than giving it all up and working at the Christian school for 50 bucks a week. Maybe. Who does that? Who gives up their business to teach at a Christian school for 50 bucks a week? Oh, die. Something's got to die in me. Something's got to fall to the earth and be planted and die. I've got to decrease so the Lord can increase. I've got to become insignificant so he can become great when David said oh magnify the Lord with me let us exalt his name together I know the Lord could be magnified not because he can get bigger but he gets bigger in our eyes David didn't say let's make God greater he can't get any greater than he is but David was submitting I've got to make him greater by pushing myself out uh. I'm praying, I'm praying out of this house they'll become missionaries. But there'll be no missionaries without death. I'm praying that there'll be preachers and teachers. I'm praying that there'll be disciple makers. I'm going to tell you right now, you start witnessing on your job, people are going to make fun of you. You start talking about the Lord, people are going to scold you. In this environment, you start talking about Jesus, unless you use his name in a cuss word, people will write you up. They'll talk bad about you. But I will just say, it'd be better for you to talk about the Lord and, and get fired from your job than to act like you are in the world and blend in and keep all the money that you have. It'd be better that you died and people can live than for you to live and be alone. <laughs> I wake up. I'm almost through. Help me, Brother Zach. I think about a couple of things. I think about my family, my wife. We just celebrated 24 years. It wasn't much of a celebration. I had chicken broth. <laughs> I wake up in the morning, I think about it, several things. Of course, one of the things I think about, why am I letting this dog sleep in this bed with me? <laughs> I got a cramp in my leg. <laughs> I think about that guy. I think about that guy. I think about... I don't know where that other guy is. I think about that girl. 
I think about you. And I think about all the people in our community that are lost. And they don't know the Lord. And I pray, Lord, help us to have the greatest revival we've ever had. And I pray, Lord, help us, teach us how to get there. For a handful of people, it's going to be hard for you to give up your seat. For a handful of people, not many, it would be hard for you to give up your position. For a handful of us, it'll be hard for us to give up our comfort. For some, it'll be hard to give up money. For others, it's going to be hard to give up infractions levied against us because no one's going to come if they know that the church can't help them, that the church is suffering itself and it's bitter and angry. You'll have to bury all of that. Every past thing, every hurt and pain, let it die. And out of that is going to come a beauty of your life. I hope you can hear me now. Please stand and I'll close. If you so choose, put your hand on someone's shoulder or grab them by the hand if it's appropriate. And I want us to pray. I'm crucified with Christ. Come on, pray it. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Come on, say it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life which I now live, I live. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the grace of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Come on now. Now make those words an actual feeling a prayer of your life I'm crucified I'm, I'm, I've got to be crucified with Christ I'm living but my flesh is crucified personal ambitions my thoughts come on you're never going to get you didn't give up anything to be in this house you didn't give up anything God is always supplied you'll never out sacrifice the Savior Come on, here's order right here. This is an order. Here's your order of your life. I'm laying down all that bitterness. I'm laying down all that anger. I'm laying down all those disappointments. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm at a, I'm at a point, Pastor. I gotta do it. Come on, do it right now. Now's the moment. Now's the moment to do it. Do it here. Here it is. Here it is. Flesh. Push down the flesh. Talk to yourself now. Call yourself by name.
Come on, now lift up your voice to the Lord. And someone pray that our church would have a mighty overflowing revival. Come on, pray those prayers. Pray it in Jesus' name. Pray it in Jesus' name. Pray it in Jesus' name. the Lord calling someone here tonight. I feel the Lord's calling you to a ministry. He's calling you to do a work. He's calling you. Hear his voice now. He's calling you. That's right. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, break out of yourself. Break out of yourself. Give yourself over to the mocking. Come on, give yourself over to everything. You've got to do a work for God. You've got to work for God to do. Yes, yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. He's calling you now. He's calling you to do this now. That's right. Respond to the voice of God. You heard it. You heard it. You heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. Not I. Not I. It's not I. It's you. It's not me. It's not my thoughts. It's your thoughts. It's not my ambition. It's your call. It's not my desire, Lord. It's your path.